It's just good to see everybody, and I just pray that as we continue in our study in Colossians that it will be a, a blessing to you this morning. As you can see, we are looking at Paul's sacrificial ministry for the church. Um, we have been looking through uh, this first chapter. We'll be concluding the first chapter in Colossians today, um, breaking to just expand on a couple of things here and there. But um, uh, just wanted to kind of go over some things. And as we progress in our study of Colossians, Paul has been laying the groundwork to address a false teaching that is a threat to this church in the city of Colossae. Paul's main argument is that Christ is superior to everything and has authority over all things, including his church. And so as he establishes who Jesus is uh, better in their minds, uh, that is the argument that he's basically making for them. Last week, we expanded our study a little bit of the greatness of Christ by looking at the prophecy about Jesus in Psalm 110, 1. Um, so just very briefly, we, we uh, quoted this and examined how uh, Psalm 110, 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. I'm not going to go through and teach the whole thing again, folks, but basically the idea here is, as, as, as David is writing this, he's acknowledging that, okay, there is the Lord, but he said to my Lord. So we're talking now here, the second person in the Trinity, Christ, he's, he's basically saying, you know, uh, God himself, the Father, is going to make all of Jesus' enemies underneath him as he then sits at his right hand. And so what we did was we saw how that was developed through the New Testament and how Jesus basically uh, uh, talked about that regarding his deity and how he was preexistent, and then also the different blessings and important things that are related to that fact. And so again, we don't have time to go through all of that, but um, it's interesting that even Colossians 3.1 quotes uh, half of this prophecy about, about uh, his enemies uh, being seated at his, I mean, his, en his enemies being uh, his footstool. So today we're going to see that Paul shifts gears to a degree. The apostle is going to relate to them on a more personal level. Uh, and I think this is important for several reasons we're going to be examining, but we have all had impressions of someone that changed based upon getting to know them better, right? We've all had that happen. Sometimes as we get to know so, uh, the person better, it confirms what we first saw in them. Other times, more information changes what we first thought of them in a more positive or negative way, depending, right? But no matter how small getting to know someone uh, changes or how we see them, this is new information and it is not neutral, right? So we get to know somebody, no matter how big or small the interaction is to a degree, as we get to know them better, it's going to change how we see them. It's not just going to be, okay, we had some interaction, but it's not a neutral thing. It's going to change a little bit of how we see them. Uh, hopefully, for the most part, we get to appreciate someone better, right? Because we know them better. Probably on some occasions, it's like, okay, I know too much about that person and <laughs> don't want to know them anymore. So, but uh, you get the idea. So I'm using some details here because Paul understands that how these believers respond to his letter depends partly on knowing him. So Paul writes this letter to help strengthen their understanding 
of life in Christ. He understands that if they have doubts about the author, they may have doubts about what he's writing to them. So it's kind of important that he relates to them in a personal way. So let me read for you uh, the section that we're going to be looking at today, Colossians 1, Colossians 1, verses 24 through 29. Give you just a moment to get there. Colossians 1, 24 through 29, and it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So as we begin this, we're going to again start right from the beginning of this passage that we just read. And we're looking at, at Paul's sufferings, and he says something that's kind of interesting here. He says, to fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So even before we begin looking at this passage, or as we begin, I should say, uh, I want to cover this first. Um, to fill up what is lacking. This is not related to Christ's redemption of us. It's not like Christ's sufferings didn't do enough, so now I have to do some more for you. That's not at all what this is talking about. What Paul is speaking of is what remains in his suffering for Jesus. All right? So I still have, uh, during my life here, I still have things to, you know, my life needs to fill up. I need to complete my sufferings for Christ. Wow. Imagine, seriously, imagine if you're having a conversation with somebody and that's what they say to you. I mean, you know, what would your impression be of them? But yet they, they knew some of Paul. We're going to talk about this. But what I wanted to see is a couple of passages that really back up what Paul is talking about here. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, this is uh, the Lord speaking to Ananias. He wants him to go and speak to Paul. This was when Paul was first converted. He says, go for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wow. Isn't that something? I also want you to see, and what I want to show you is, I'm going to read a larger passage, but I want this to be up here for you. But a larger passage here in Mark 10, starting in verse 35. But this, this is kind of the crux of it, so I wanted this to be in, in your mind here. Mark 10, starting in verse 35. This is, this is kind of, what I want to do is I want to relate something that Jesus said to a couple of other people to what Paul is suffering. It says, verse 35, as soon as I start reading this, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember this story. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want uh, you to do for us whatever we ask. Now we know in another passage that mom was involved here too, right? 
Parents, you love this, right? Hey, mom, dad, I want to ask you something, and, and just please say yes, right? Just, just tell me you're going to say yes before I tell you. That's really what's going on here, right? So it says, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. Now, if you were here last week, you understand this request was huge, which we understand why the other disciples were, frankly, just ticked off about it, right? So then it goes on, but Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we can. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Now he basically turns around and says, but where you're seated, that's, that's up to the Father, not me, right? So he's putting him in their place. But what he's saying is, you don't know what you're asking. He said, oh, yeah, we sure do. And then he's, and he said, okay, I'm going to grant that to you. So what he was saying was, you're going to suffer like I did, okay? So here's Paul. What I wanted you to see here was Jesus is telling them, Look, guys, you don't know what you're asking. But now think about what he just said about Paul. He's saying, that's what I want for him. That, that, that's his ministry. Wow. Okay. Very different perspective, even from Jesus. And so as we think of this area of his sufferings, then, um, he says here this, for the sake of the Colossians. It is specifically for their sake. Paul wanted to continue to establish a very personal, legitimate connection with the Colossian church. And although Paul had never met them, Christ used Paul to bring the gospel to the Colossians. That's what he's saying here. God used everything that Paul had been through to bring them salvation in his son Jesus. Did Paul save them? No. But Paul was used to have the gospel go to them. This church knew Paul's sufferings. They had sent Epaphras to minister him in prison. We know that from our previous study. So Paul is making the connection between his sufferings for Christ and their salvation in Christ. He wants that personal connection with them. But Paul suffered also for the sake of the body of Christ. Paul was, specific, was a specific apostle to the Gentile world. We saw this. He says this in other places. He planted churches in many parts of the Roman Empire. His sufferings, uh, his sufferings were for the collective body of Christ. Now he makes it personal to the Colossians, but then he expresses this is also for the entire body of Christ. So what Paul is doing is he's appropriately tying the Colossians into what we would kind of consider the greater body of Christ. Not just the local assembly, but Jesus' body himself. So why does Paul share this in the way that he does? Why does he talk about this suffering as he does? And why does he want to connect with them in this way? I believe Paul had two reasons for writing this to the Colossians. First, for Paul, the only personal gain in his ministry for them is the joy that comes with completing the suffering that still remained in his service for Christ. Think about that for a minute. He said that this was joyful, his suffering. 
And he's now specifically talking to the Colossians. So he's saying, the things that I'm going through right now, as I'm filling up the things that that I, I still need to suffer for Christ, part of that's for you. You're helping me fulfill that because of the things that I've suffered so that you can have what you have. The second reason leads us to the next part of our study in this passage. Paul is serving the Colossians and Christ's church for the benefit of every follower of Jesus. We're going to see what that means. But but here's the thing. That's it. There's no personal agendas on Paul's part. There's no angles for increasing his power his prestige, or his wallet. Not even the satisfaction of having more people follow his own personal philosophy. None of this is for Paul's benefit. It's all for the glory of Christ and for the benefit of the church. Folks, what an example for service. What a mindset that we can take away that this is what our service is supposed to be about. So it's just a a neat example that Paul has here. But again, there's also this this heart that he's reaching out with. Then that brings us to the next part of the passage here, starting in verse 25, where we see that Paul's purpose for serving Christ's church. Paul describes himself as a minister or a servant to the church. Paul often used the term doulos or slave, okay? That's just the Greek word for, for slave. But even this term can bring some prestige or authority to it. Um, there's a section, and I didn't want to get into all this because the passage is not related to what we're talking about, but there's a passage in the New Testament that talks about uh, Moses, the servant of God, right? And that's related to what he's, what he's, what he's, um, how he's described in, in uh, the Old Testament several times. He's talking about you know, Moses, the servant of God. Now, obviously, it's not Greek back in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, but it's the same idea. It's really this, the, same, the same terminology. Well, that is not talking about someone who has no authority. It actually was a term of authority where Moses is God's servant leading his people. The term that's used here is diakonos. Might sound a little familiar. Deacon. This particular term means to serve, but it has no connection with authority. So he used that term specifically not to say, I am like the servant of Caesar, you know what I mean? Or something like that. But he's like, I'm just a servant. That's what he's saying. All right. I'm, I'm just, I'm here to serve Christ. Paul also calls his ministry a stewardship. A stewardship. We don't use that term a lot, but God did make Paul a steward or a caretaker of the Gentile church. Maybe we can better understand what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 11, what we read earlier, when he said that along with all of his sufferings, and there's some amazing sufferings there, right? Some crazy things that he went through. He bears the burden of what he describes as the care of all the churches. Along with all of this, I have this burden for all the churches. And then if you just kind of flip the file folder of your mind and remember... Galatians was kind of messed up a little bit, right? Colossians, 
they had some issues that they were dealing with. Corinthians, I mean, let's be honest, most of us would just write them off, right? That church, mm -mm, no thank you. There were issues. Doctrinal, moral, all these different things. Many of these, obviously, Paul is writing to these folks. So there is a burden that he has. Now, I want to be careful to say, um, you know, I, I mentioned to you, Paul was called to this. You know, there are folks in our day, I, I don't know how or why, but they suffer and they, they go through some very difficult times. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, there's no suffering today. Obviously, we've talked about that in the past. But, but for Paul, the difference was that he was called to this, right? And then the other thing that's different is that Paul was also called to be this caretaker, that, that, that he was overseeing all of the churches because we're talking about earlier on in the ministry of the church as, as, as the body of Christ is, is becoming established in these new areas. So as we continue here, for Paul, this wasn't just a sense of responsibility. This was his responsibility given by Christ himself. It wasn't just, ah, I, I, I kind of have this, this thing that I feel like I should do. No, this was a mandate. But Paul was also stewarded the responsibility to fulfill the word of God. That's what it says here. Paul purposefully used a form of the word fill that he used in verse 24. Paul is not saying that he is responsible to make the word of God come true. He's not responsible to fulfill the content of the word of God. That's not what he's talking about here. He's communicating that this ministry is to give believers a more complete understanding of what God says. He's to help people understand the Lord's message. That is the idea of completing it. So let me just give you a, a comparison slide here. Colossians 1.25b, right? King James, New King James is the one that we, we tend to use from the pulpit here and in the pews to fulfill the word of God, right? That, again, there's that fulfill. There's that idea of, of filling that's, that's there. Look at the ESV, to make the word of God fully known. Again, we're just continuing through here. Carry out the preaching of the word of God. Now, that preaching of was actually a little bit of an assertion by the New American Standard people, but it works. And then the NIV, to present you the word of God in its fullness. So you see the language there and what it was really about? The idea was that he is not, he is not um, somehow completing the very word of God itself. He's completing in them their understanding of God's message to them. He's teaching them. So there's a ministry of, of teaching and encouragement. And we know this partly because as he goes on, uh, the rest of the passage supports this understanding. But I also want you just very briefly to notice in verse 25 again, it says, of which I became a minister, there's that servant, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. To fulfill the word of God. So he, again, in verse 25, he brings us back to the personal. I am doing this for you. I'm doing this because God has directed me to do it, right? 
but I'm doing this for you. Folks, I want you to grow. I want you to understand the fullness of the Word of God. And then I just want to read for you verses 26 and 27 because what we really see here is um, the extension of what he means by this. The mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in this um, message of Christ was once a mystery. It was once wrapped in prophecies and promises that they were looking to have come true. But now this mystery has been revealed. It's, 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 it's out in the open. It's known now because Christ fulfilled all of those things. So Paul says that God willed to make this known. This combination of words gives the phrase more punch. It gives it a little bit more emphasis. It doesn't just say that God revealed something. The phrase says that God has chosen or determined to make something known. Well, what has he made known? It follows with the next phrases, the mystery of Christ in them, the hope of glory. There are two thoughts on what Paul meant here. The first one is that Christ dwelling in them. Okay, Does Christ indwell believers? You can answer me. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry about that. I, you know, I know we're not used to that, but Christ indwells believers. Others see this as the fulfilled prophecy of Christ in or among them as the Gentiles. And again, we've already looked at enough scripture here where that's something that Paul was intended to do, that Paul was commissioned to do, was to make sure that Christ was among the Gentiles. Um, some say he may have meant both. Here's the way I look at it. They're both true. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying no matter how we look at that, it's Christ in them. And they are both true. So the Colossians now enjoy a personal relationship with Christ and all the riches that go with it. That's what he's saying here. So let me just kind of summarize these verses here. The gospel, hidden in the Old Testament has now been disclosed, made known to those that God has set apart. And it, is, and it is to those set apart ones that God determined to make known all the amazing things related to the glory of Christ in, in the Gentiles. <clears throat> so this is a new ministry. This is taking the gospel beyond the Jewish people, which the promises were always there for the Messiah, but the promises were also always there, right? I say always, meaning once they were made in the Old Testament, but they were there moving forward that Jesus was not just going to be the Messiah to the Jews, but that was going to go beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And so this is, this is God specifically determining that his chosen ones, right, they are going to know who he is and they're going to know how to live. And Paul was a part of making that happen. Which brings us then to Paul's method to fully present God's word. How did he do that? 
It says here that he preached Christ. He proclaimed him. He simply made Jesus known. This is important. As we look at verses 28 and 29, we've already read this. This is important. Paul doesn't say preach Christ and. He doesn't say preach Christ alongside of. He finishes with preach Christ. Paul's message is focused on the singular person of Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. We've already looked at that in previous studies. And the firstborn from the dead. Right? That's who he wants to focus on. But how does he do that? How does he help us to understand what's Paul's methodology in making sure these Colossians are, are, are learning? The first thing he says here, and let me just read it for you. Him we preach, Christ we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So the first thing he does is he warns. This is a warning about, first of all, the dangers of sin, right? Sin is our enemy when it comes to our eternal destiny, correct? We're lost because we are sinners. But sin is also our enemy if we are followers of Jesus Christ because that's supposed to be something that we do away with. So when we're offending God, when we're basically saying, I have a better way of doing things than you do, right? That is not learning Christ. What did we establish about Jesus recently? He came here to, yes, to save sinners, but he also came here to do the will of the Father. And he did that perfectly. He came here to do the will of the Father, and he came here to do the will of the Father to be an example for us. So if Jesus, the God of the universe, submits himself to the Lord, God the Father, while he's here on earth. Boy, shouldn't we be doing that? Certainly, doing what we please outside of what God wants us to do is not submitting to him, is not placing ourselves under his authority. It's rebellion. And so he warns them about that. But I believe he's also warning them that there are threats to their spiritual well-being. There are things out there that can harm them spiritually. And so there are warnings that are issued. And we see those warnings uh, fleshed out really in the rest of the New Testament, obviously, and the rest of the things that, that Paul writes to them. But then he also says that he instructs every believer. That is the other way that he does this. He warns them, but he also instructs them. And we've already seen through Paul's prayer how he desired for them to grow. Now, I'm going to push us back. You can... You can Here's the thing, it's like an open book exam, right? You look a little bit earlier in the the book of Colossians where it talks about um, uh, Paul's prayer, which starts in verse 9, right? But here's the elements of that that we studied. He wants them to know God's will and have the wisdom to do it. He wants them to live a life worthy of Christ. He wants them to produce good works. He wants them to be strong through God's might, He wants them to endure difficult situations and be patient with people. And through everything, he wants them to be joyful. Okay, That's just a reminder of what we have examined recently. For the goal, but there was also, his instruction, okay, was also for the goal of maturing every believer, which really 
is taking all those things we just talked about and summarizing them, right? Now, you might think to yourself, maturing every believer. That was really Paul's goal. I mean, hyperbole, which basically means exaggerated language to make a point, is something that the scriptures use. Um, something like this. That's got to cost like a gazillion dollars, right? I don't even know if gazillion's a real word, but it's, obviously that's an exaggeration. Mom, that dinner was the best ever. Probably a little hyperbole, right? No offense, moms. Now, some of your moms are going to say, you know, I hear that every night, right? <laughs> that's not hyperbole. That's sarcasm. Just, but the point is, we can use hyperbole. Here's another example. Maggie and I were going to stop at Mellow Cream on opening day, which we were going to do. But the line was a mile long. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how we convinced ourselves we did not want to stand in the cold to purchase something cold. Okay? <laughs> we use hyperbole at times. Right? There's hyperbole in the Bible. John writes that he would imagine that if everything that Jesus did were written down in the world, um, written down, the world could not contain the books. Okay? Um, this was hyperbole to make a point. We only have a small percentage of what Jesus did while on the earth recorded for us. It doesn't truly mean that there's no way that the libraries of the world could not contain the books. The point is, it was a hyperbole, an exaggerated way of saying, we only have just one little sliver of what Jesus did. Okay. Now, I'm talking a lot about this, but here's the thing. This was not hyperbole. What Paul is saying here was truly his desire and his goal based upon the mandate that Jesus gave him. This was not an exaggeration. He wanted every believer mature, every believer to be grown up in Jesus. That's what he desired. Isn't that something? It was his passion. It was what drove him. This was a sky-high goal. We know that. But Paul was totally serious in his desire for every believer to stand mature in Jesus. And his method was to warn and to teach. To warn and to teach. What I love about verse 29 is like we think of when we, there's people that we respect. It wasn't just a bunch of blustery words, right? Let me just read, read it for you again, just to keep it fresh in our minds. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul uses three terms here for work, just in case we don't understand what subject he's talking about, right? To this end, or with this goal in mind, I labor. Okay? I'm working, I'm making an effort. I'm putting in the time. Then he says, I strive. This is effort related to struggling or competing like an athlete. It further refines the intensity of his labor. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when I go to work, which is in my office, I'm not sweating very much. I'm not like, now maybe in my mind I've got to wrestle through some things. But you know, there are times in our jobs 
when it really does feel like we're wrestling something. We talk about wrestling a problem down, right? Or maybe for some of you, I mean, it's literally taking that big wrench and that big nut and just like, you know, we're just, we're striving, right? Sometimes we don't have the backhoe, we have the shovel. And so there are, there is this, there's this idea of, of not just working, but like really straining to get this job done. And we're not forgetting what that job is, right? That's maturing every believer. I'm going to warn them and I'm going to teach them because they need to be mature. But then there's this last part here that just says work, but it's related differently. This is God working in Paul, and Paul gives God the glory for what is accomplished. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He says, I'm laboring, I'm, I'm striving, I mean, I am working hard at this. But God is the one working mightily through his work in me. Wow. Folks, again, what a lesson for ourselves to stop and remember no matter what we try to put out for Jesus, it's got to be for him and we're doing it in his strength. Without me, you can do nothing. So what do we take away from this this morning? What Paul has written needs to be instructive to us in several ways. All of us who are in Christ are enjoying all the riches of the glory of Christ in us. We need to remember that. Paul's message to the Colossians is the same to us, that there is something as Gentiles, right, as, as those who weren't in God's you know, family when it came to those he called, something that has been given to us that is amazing. We, we, we are a people grafted in, the scriptures tell us, we have been brought in by his grace and, and we have been given life and all that is related to it. The message would go a lot longer. So understand I'm not going to do that. But the message would go a lot longer if I started to list and explain all those riches, right? Those are things that we just catch along the way. Some of those we've already talked about. But some of those are going through your mind right now. The riches that we have in Jesus. Folks, that's ultimately what Christ did. But he used Paul to begin to interject that into the world, right? We also have our place in warning, instructing, and maturing one another. Now again, Paul had the authority to do this as an apostle. But you know, we're told to do those things too in the scriptures. Warning, admonishing, teaching one another, helping one another to mature. These are all things that, that we're instructed to do. I think, again, in a little bit different way, on a little bit different level, but it's there. Where does this take place? In our church, as peers, in our homes. Some will be more formal, some will be less formal. But it's all necessary. You know as well as I do, teaching 
like we're doing right now or more interactive teaching in, in what we would call like a, a Sunday school setting or something like that is important. A, a smaller group Bible study, those types of things. But you also know that there is instruction that takes place on just a very personal basis, right? Where conversations simply come up. I really believe that that's what the scriptures are telling us when, he's, when uh, the Lord is talking to parents and there's this idea of, of teaching your children, right? While, while you're sitting down, while you're standing up, while you're walking in the way. Just as life happens, take advantage of the opportunities. Now, I, I don't think that we need to have everything be a teaching moment. We can, again, take things to ridiculousness, right? You know, uh, poor kid forgot to put his seatbelt on. Well, there's a lesson there, isn't there? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> we need to go into a theology lesson because they forgot to put their seatbelt on. But the point is, there are plenty of things that happen in life where we can, we can take and we can hook both warnings and instruction from the Word of God to those experiences. All right? Again, not necessarily something that takes a long time to do, but just some reminders and some, some, some things. You know, what did we learn from this? Those types of things. So we're, we're applying the Scriptures here, right? More recently, I've come to a phrase that I kind of like, so you probably hear this more than once or have already heard it. But I think sometimes what we have to look at in scriptures is that there's, there's, there's what we can call today camera angles, right? There's things that are from God's perspective, and then the camera angle kind of turns, and then there's things from our perspective. Well, on this one, what I want us to do is to be reminded of there's this camera angle of us doing something for somebody else. But let's just turn that angle around for just a moment and remember that we need to be open to being warned. We need to be open to being instructed. And we need assisting in our maturing process. Are we open to admitting that and being desirous of that? Because I'll tell you what, um, I think Paul was. I don't think he was just a dispenser. I think he really studied Jesus. But we all need to be willing to invest ourselves in this process. This is what the church is all about. So many of those one another passages that are, that are related to this. So folks, again, as we conclude, what I want us to really see here is that we have a beautiful example for Paul. You know, this is not some of these big lofty things like the preeminence of Christ. But I just want to remind us, he has some purposes in this. He, he is building a case, and we're going to be seeing it, trust me, very, very soon now, right? But the one thing that was kind of missing in this case that he's building is, hey, for sake of a better term, I've got some skin in this game, folks, Right? Jesus has called me to this, but it's not for my glory. It's not for anything that, that benefits me except to just fill up that suffering that I'm supposed to do. But I am working really hard for you, and all that I have done, there is a personal connection to you because Jesus wants you to be mature, and I want you to be mature. And again... He's forecasting the fact that there's something out there 
that is just waiting to rob him, right? That was our memory verse this morning. There's some stuff out there that wants to steal the joy that he wants them to experience in Jesus. He's concerned for them. So this isn't, hey, you know, um, let me put it this way. This is not a Pauline franchise. Right? It's not like, you know, I don't want my McDonald's to close in this other town. (laughs) That's not what it's about. It's not about his kingdom building. It's, it's, not, it's not about losing, you know, revenue or, or influence or anything like that. It's ultimately about coming back to the glory of Christ. It's not about him at all. But yet, he has responsibilities. He has purposes that Jesus himself has given him. And so he's relating to them, helping them understand, look, you know I'm suffering. Part of this is for you, and this is the reason why. I want you to be mature. You got that, right, this morning? (laughs) Okay. So in this whole process, he's going to be warning them about some things that are taking place in their own town. Folks, let's, let's just have at it here. We're going to get into this in more detail. Are there some things floating around that can take your joy away in Christ? Are there? Can we, in our own little hearts right now, be even a little more honest and say, maybe they've been successful in the past. Maybe they've had some influence and it's hurt. We need this book. We need the whole book. But we need to continue to mature. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for the example that we have ultimately in Christ. But we just thank you, Lord, that Paul exhibited the character of Christ and what he did, and it was all for him. What, what some, some beautiful lessons for us. It's just tough sometimes to empty ourselves of ourselves. In, in some ways, it's impossible. But Lord, I pray that you help us to just not to do things for ourselves, but to do things for you. To make sure that what the efforts that we are that we are expending, the things that we are doing, that they're ultimately for your honor and glory. That's what's really going to count for forever. That's what's going to please you. That's what's going to bring you joy. And according to Paul, it's going to bring us great joy too. So we thank you for your instruction this morning. Um, a lot different, not, not big theological truths, just simple down to earth. This is what it means to serve. Again, we thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen.